So the talk tonight, I've retitled The Five Gangs of Attachment. And um, it's, a, it's actually an adapted talk from uh, a, the Thai meditation master, uh, Ajahn Chah, who hopefully you're familiar with. And if you're not familiar with Ajahn Chah, then you know, there's many books uh, written some by Jack Cornfield, who that was Ajahn Chah's. Uh, Jack Cornfield was Ajahn Chah's student, and as well as Ajahn Samedo, Ajahn Amaro. This is kind of the lineage of um, Theravada Buddhism here in the West. Uh, many of them. So I'm kind of intermingling some of my own ideas, some of the Buddha's teaching, and um, some of Ajahn Chah's teaching. So the five gangs of attachment. So the purpose of meditation is to raise things up, is to put them to the test, and to understand our essence. And I love that term, essence. I've been using it for a while. I think it just speaks to um, what I think the Buddha's teaching really, you know, encompassed was that there's this essence that is below all of the crap that's in our heads that we think is our essence. <laughs> so, for example, you know, we see the body as something fine and beautiful, whereas the Buddha tells us that it is impure and permanent and prone to suffering. Which view accords with the truth? This is the investigation quality. See for yourself. We're like visitors to a foreign land, not knowing the language. It's hard to understand and maybe enjoy our vacation or our time. But once we've learned the language, we can enjoy kind of more of the culture and understand things more, laugh, laugh at jokes, this kind of thing. So this is one way that Ajahn Chah spoke of um, this understanding of the mind or and, or, and or the Dharma. <clears throat> so another way to look at it is um, that we're like children who have to grow up before we can understand what the adults are talking about. And I really like this uh, metaphor because it, it, it's humbling. And I think uh, that hum- humility is helpful because we have heads on top of our heads. We're thinking about thinking about thinking all the time. And so this kind of Oh, letting yourself kind of drop into that, you know, what in Zen they call the beginner's mind. Where we're trying to understand things uh, experientially. And there's some things that we're just not going to understand yet. People, when I'm, when I'm giving Dharma talks or even when I'm listening or practicing on my own, you know, there's, I don't even know some of the things that I don't even know yet. And I think it's helpful to remember that. So Ajahn Chah says that our minds are like this. They're like 
trying to understand a foreign language, being confused, uh, kind of not able to comprehend certain things, certain aspects of the Buddhist teaching. So beings experience greed, hatred, delusion, (coughs) succumbing to these torments of mind. They reap the results, increase their bad habits, and then make yet more uh, karma, negative or positive, again succumbing to these habits of mind. This is kind of the cycle of ignorance and craving. I like there's the term in Pali, the kalesas, which means torments of mind. And that oftentimes this is what we're dealing with. Either consciously or subconsciously. So the question arises, why can't we get rid of greed, hatred, and delusion? Why can't we just say, I don't want to think about that anymore. I don't want to be greedy From the Buddhist perspective, um, it's about perception. And it's about uh, the first of the Eightfold Path, this uh, wise understanding. If your thinking is wrong, you will suffer. And I was trying to remember the, the exact Thai quote from Ajahn Chah. And I think, if I can remember the Thai, is Tuk Krit, no, Tuk Prat Kit Pit. Suffer because wrong thinking. But this is the essence of our issue, our dilemma. We suffer because of wrong thinking. So knowing the workings of karma, of cause and effect, this is helping us to understand, this wise understanding. Knowing uh, knowing with the big K, as uh, Sylvia Bornstein likes to say, there's knowing with the little K. Like, oh, I know that. And we talked a little bit about that on Monday. And then there's knowing with the big K, the capital K, of a, a deeper sense of knowing. So knowing the workings of karma and that attachment to pleasure brings suffering in its wake. Attachment to pleasure brings suffering in its wake. When we watch, we can learn how to act. We can learn to end grasping and sorrow. But we have to watch. why this practice can be so helpful. So the Buddha, seeing this, you know, wanted to escape from the real dangers in the world. And uh, he, gives, he gives some teachings about the, the danger, seeing the danger, and then seeing the escape, the way out. Which we have to overcome within ourselves. These real dangers in the world 
we have to overcome within ourselves. There's no quick fix. So the external dangers are not as frightening as the dangers within. This is kind of really what Ajahn Chah is saying and and then what the Buddha was pointing to as well. That the work is within. And looking for some external refuge is uh, ultimately not helpful. (laughs) It's kind of a bummer. But at least there's hope, you know. Oh, the work's within. I remember this Hindu story of... um, I'll try to, I'm sure I'll botch it, but basically it was about kind of the gods and, you know, um, kicking that we were all godlike beings and and we got too greedy, too too, uh, arrogant, and lacked humility. And so the the greater gods kicked us out to this human realm and gave us a key to come back, to get back to this heavenly realm. And they were trying to, they wanted to make it kind of difficult so you could have, there was some suffering involved in the quest. And they were thinking the highest mountain or the deepest ocean. And the, all the gods were like, nah, they'll go there. They'll adventure to the highest mountains with ease. Let's put it right here, right in their center. It'll be difficult for them. It'll be a challenge. They'll have to be humble. Now that's a, a Hindu story. But the, the point is the same. That we have to look within. I think uh, Martin Luther King actually gave a very similar kind of a, a quote in one of his speeches. So these external dangers, they're not so frightening. But we can turn uh, these external dangers in. And uh, explain some of what happens within. So wind. I'm going to use some elements here. So things come to our senses. Causing compulsion. Lust. Anger. Ignorance arises. Destroying what is good in us. Normally we see only the external winds. Which blow branches. Cause storms. Not seeing the wind of our senses which unwatched can cause the storms of desire. So I like this concept of the winds of our senses because, um, you know, as you can tell, we get kind of wafted by the different uh, feeling tones. The different senses can be very easily carried away. So fire, Ajahn Chah also talked about fire, that our home may burn down, our monastery, our center. This is a danger. But the greed, hatred, and delusion burns us constantly. Desire and aversion cause us to speak or act in unskillful ways. Delusion leads us to see bad as good, good as bad, the ugly as beautiful, the valueless as valuable. But one who does not meditate does not see this and is overcome by these fires. 
So this kind of seeing the good as bad or the, the valueless as valuable. This is um, the Buddhist teaching on uh, inverted perception or wrong perception. Not seeing things clearly. And really kind of reacting from that desirous place. So water. Here the danger is the flood of unskillfulness. In our hearts and minds submerging our true nature. So the flood of unskillfulness in our hearts and minds. So another aspect of uh, an external danger that we can also look internal is thieves. Thieves on the road, thieves in the city. You're traveling, you might come across some thieves. Not as, not as dangerous as the thieves within, the thieves in our hearts. The real thieves, Ajahn Chah says, uh, do not exist outside of us, but inwardly. Let's call them the five gangs of attachment. Also known as the aggregates. That they are robbing, beating, and destroying us. Arjun Chah had some harsh language sometimes. I like that about him. So we're going to go through these, uh, these five gangs that are robbing us of our true nature, of our freedom. The body. The body is prey to illness and pain, and when it does not accord to our wishes, we have grief and sorrow. Not understanding this uh, natural aging and decay of the body, we suffer. Just plain and simple. Suffer because wrong thinking. We think that our body is permanent, it's going to last forever. Even on some level, even as it begins to break down, there's a bit of denial. You know, I'm about to turn 40, so I'm really kind of in that transition from you know, whatever, young to not so young. And I'm really kind of noticing that. Things are not working the way they used to. So we feel attraction or repulsion toward our bodies. Or the bodies of others. And we are robbed of true peace. Now again, this has to do with kind of this comparing. This comparing mind. Where we're either kind of repulsed or we're attracted. And then maybe some comparison of how we should be. Or they should be. Or it should be. And this, is, this also kind of leads to separation. Okay, so Feelings. Moving down the list. When pain and pleasure arise, we forget that they are impermanent. Suffering, not self. We identify with our emotions and are tortured by our misunderstanding. Memories and perception. Identifying with what we recognize and remember gives rise to greed, hatred, and delusion. Our wrong understanding becomes habitual. 
this, this wrong thinking that causes our suffering becomes habitual based on memory and perception. And then gets stored in our subconscious. So we may uh, unconsciously or subconsciously continue to react to these habits of mind. It's the way that our perception can play tricks on us. Preference and other elements of mind. So preference, I really like that. It's the first out of the kind of series of aggregates, um, the, you know, the five aggregates, the series of teachings and whatnot that I've studied, where I've heard the, the word preference used versus uh, just mental formations, you know, or things that come up in the mind, thoughts, feelings, memories, all of that. So not understanding the nature of mental states, we react. Thoughts and feelings, likes and dislikes, happiness and sorrow arise. Forgetting that they are impermanent, suffering and selfless, we cling to them. And I like this one, I can't remember the guy's name, but he was a Zen priest and he gives this um, this analogy and he just... He says, just imagine that, you know, just like, uh, you know, the pancreas secretes insulin, the, the salivary glands secrete saliva, the mind secretes thoughts. Just secretions of the mind, staying, arising, staying for a time, passing away. That's one of the ways of looking at it. I liked uh, Jack Cornfield says, uh, thoughts are just blips of energy. Nothing more, nothing less. Blips of energy. That's probably more uh, neurophysiologically proper. <laughs> Leave it to Jack. Consciousness. We grasp to that which knows the other aggregate. We think, I know, I am, I feel, and we are bound to the illusion of self and of separation. So consciousness, really interesting. It's not my consciousness. It's not even our consciousness. It's just consciousness, impersonal, an element, a quality. That all beings have. Yet there's a way we personalize it. We make it me and mine. I know. I experience. So all these thieves, this wrong understanding, leads to wrong action. The Buddha had no desire for this and saw that there was no true happiness to be found here. So he sought escape. The Buddha taught his monks the true nature of the five aggregates and how to let go of them without clinging to them as me or mine. When we understand them, 
we see that they have potential for great harm or great value. But they don't disappear. They don't go anywhere. The aggregates are, as long as we're existing, they just are. Arising, passing away. The difference is that we don't have to grasp to them as our own. And this is what where the Buddha's liberation came from. After his enlightenment, the Buddha still had physical ails, he had feelings of pain and pleasure, he had memories, thoughts, consciousness. But he didn't cling to them as being self. This is the teaching of anatta, not self, no fixed and permanent self. Where is the I in our experience? Where is it? So he knew he knew them as they were, just as the aggregates. And the one who knew was also not I, not self. I think the other day I was talking about how you know there's this way in which in this vipassana meditation we can begin to learn to disidentify with some of the mental formations right the blips of energy we can see that we can real we can recognize feelings are arising and passing away but then there's this observer that appears this one that is observing and and then there's this tendency to identify with that oh i'm the one that knows i'm the observer no not that either. Consciousness, awareness, just consciousness and awareness. Same as in you, same as in me, same as in all sentient beings. Not personal at all. And not forever either. Fades. So separating from the five aggregates, from the kilesas, the torments of mind, and from clinging, is like, uh, as Ajahn Chah talked about, clearing the brush in the forest while saving the trees. So it's like clearing out kind of what's not useful. So back to wise understanding. There is just constant arising and passing away. Just constant arising and passing away. As we sit, this becomes clear. This is the beauty of Vipassana. That we are simply being born and dying with the aggregates. They are just, they just come and go according to their nature. It's all very impersonal. But we like to personalize it. And the Buddha said, and Ajahn Chah said, and just about every teacher I've ever talked about, the more that we personalize, the more we suffer. This is, this is where this comes from. John Kabat-Zinn has this wonderful way of talking about the three characteristics of existence. And he says, just really simply, uh, shit happens. All things change. Don't take it so personal. I love that. Makes so much sense, right? 
So how can we work to not take it personal? Right? If someone curses at us and we don't take it personally, the incident ends with the words. There's this story. Um, let's see if I can remember it. There's this story. Uh, the Buddha's talking to this um, this householder, and he's talking about being insulted by somebody, and he says, um, and he take it, you know, he really took it personally, wanted to go like get vengeance, and uh, and the Buddha said, let's say that you. You know, made a feast of food and you invited people to come. And they came, but they didn't eat. They chose not to eat. Whose food would it be? And he was like, oh, it'd still be mine, I guess. Like in the same way, treat a person's insults. If you don't pick it up, it's not yours. If you don't stand, if you don't stand up in the line of fire, you don't get shot. there's no one to receive the ill will the letter is sent back easier said than done right had someone flip me off on the freeway the other day just minding my own business they were on their cell phone drifted into my lane I honked they flipped me off (laughs) okay you know it was a moment of personal I took it personally and then you know this practice kicked in and I smiled and sped up and went away. <laughs> so, you know, moving gracefully through this world, not caught in evaluating each event, a practitioner becomes serene. This is the way of Nibbana. This is the way of uh, freedom, empty and free. Investigate the five aggregates. Those who understand emptiness and practice and practice this way are few. You know, this is this is a hard road. Those who actually really kind of take on this practice of the five aggregates and understand emptiness are few. But they come to know the greatest joy. Why not try it? What do you have to lose? Maybe yourself. And is that so bad? Break free from the bondage of the five gangs of attachment. This is the Buddhist teaching on you know, investigating the five aggregates, seeing them as just as they are. Stuff. Just lumps of stuff. We're just lumps of stuff. Put together in a nice package. But being able to kind of uh, depersonalize the whole experience. There's a freedom that can be found there. So this is about all I have uh, to say for now. I can kind of open up for for a few questions, comments, please, Scott. Jason, um, I was wondering, in regards to Nibbana, you can use that term a few times, did the Buddha say in his teaching that you would 
there was liberation and, and freedom in that state that that um, that continued through through death also as in the like, um, beyond. Yeah. You know, I don't know. I really don't know whether or not that is it's that's not a common teaching. The teaching is, you know, find freedom now. Nibbana just means it's a household term used in ancient India, and it just means the extinguishing of the flame. That's it. Turn your stove off, flame goes out. Where does it go? Out. So, Nibbana really is just not fueling suffering. So, by changing our thinking, right? We suffer because of wrong thinking. So then if we can uh, shift our perception. So whether after this body dies, there's a continuance, I don't know, man. I'm sure that the Tibetans have some theories about that. Well, Buddha seemed to imply that he was free of all fear, free, free, free from all suffering and fear of death. There's a, a kind of liberation. Correct, right. And then living out the rest of his days in that freedom, just as we all can do. That's the promise. That's the hope. But what happens when the light goes out? It just goes out. I don't, I don't, I have no idea. <laughs> Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.